Hello everyone, I'm Stefan Koritar and welcome to the Tech Talk podcast. This is the show where you can discover insights and valuable information about how entrepreneurs build their startup in the tech industry and the way technology world works. A collection of open talks about technology and creativity, people, experiences and life around tech business ecosystems. Everything with the main goal to help you get inspired, get started, dream big and build amazing businesses. My guest today is Julia Istrate. Julia is a talent acquisition veteran with a demonstrated history of setting up and transforming talent acquisition functions. Psychologist with a keen interest and proven results in candidate assessment and driving high quality hires. She is highly skilled in talent acquisition, executive search, executive coaching and people management. Julia is also the host of the Skills for Mars podcast a podcast where she talks with her guests about the future and also about now, about change, the new world of work, and the skills needed to have meaningful, impactful careers and lives. From actually going to Mars and creating a new home there to the rise of the gig economy, esports and the gaming industry, AI and blockchain, arts, genetics, environmental hacking, and why not, pure surviving skills, they touch on what it takes to make it out there. Whether you are still in school, 40 or 60, a parent guiding their child, someone that wants to start a career or change it, a business or an HR leader that wants to better understand the new world of work, give it a try and hear it for yourself. Enjoy our conversation. I surely did. So I present you, Julia Istrate. Hi, Julia, and welcome to the show. Hi, Stefan. I'm really, really happy to be here. Uh, I'm happy to have you. And um, uh, I, well, our discussion last time went really, really well. And uh, I'm looking forward to, you know, the, you know, the now in, in the mirror effect, right? Just to see your responses to my questions. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were, we were planning this for a long time. So it's uh, really good to be doing yeah, this. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy for, uh, you know, finally getting to getting to do it um how's the weather in amsterdam oh it's rainy today uh but it's really hot and humid which is which is very nice uh we had some really dry weather for the past maybe two months so it's good to have a bit of uh, a bit of rain yeah same same feeling over here uh we have i think we have over one week already of, of just rain and it feels good because um uh it's just like that summer summer rain right that feels nice and you have that fresh smell of green you know of grass and everything so that's nice exactly exactly and the sun will shine i mean in, in amsterdam it always shines you have a bit of rain you have a bit of thunderstorm but then the sun shines and you get some clouds and you get a bit of sun and you get a bit of rain so it changes throughout the day which is very nice yeah yeah i i like amsterdam i've visited it only once and I've been to a couple of places which I really like, especially the, what was it, the Museum of Microbiology. That was just, oh. just, just amazing. But since we're already over here and talking about Amsterdam, what, give your, you know, your, your ultimate or your best recommendation for a cool place to visit in Amsterdam. Well, I've definitely made, I think it was about five or six years ago. I did uh, do like uh, you. I've, I've come once with a friend and we visited 11 museums in uh, in a weekend, Whoa. in one weekend, which is amazing because I lived here before and I only visited two in one year. <laughs> so <laughs> this was a good, uh, good uh, get to know Amsterdam uh, on the museum side and the research side and history side. 
but um, one place, right? One place to that that I really find cool. I think that's that's the Jordan. That it's what's a, that? the Jordan is um, like a neighborhood. It's okay. very close to the um, railway station to Amsterdam Central, mm-hmm. maybe 10, 10 minutes walking distance. Uh, it's between. It's more on the west side. You have the three rocks, the, the three canal, canals, and it's behind one of them. It's a historical neighborhood of uh, Amsterdam. It's very bohemic, uh, beautiful houses, 1500s, 1600s. Oh, wow. Just, a, just an amazing uh, atmosphere. Really cool bars, uh, really cool people, uh, a lot of artists. Very, very, very nice. But this is just one place. I mean, I fall in <laughs> love with Amsterdam. Every single time I get out of the house, like literally. And that's the, the reason why we moved here, because it's a place that you can just love. Yeah. So for anyone wanted to, to come here, and if you visit next time, just rent a bike or rent a boat. You don't need any kind of permits. You don't need anything. And just get lost in, in Amsterdam. You have so many beautiful places to, to visit. And it depends what you want to do as well, right? Yeah. Uh, this is a, for more maybe of a historical bohemic walk. But uh, if you like uh, to have a bit of fun, then there are places you can go. Uh, if you like to see how um, the infrastructure here works and how quickly things uh, move, there, there are other places to visit. If you want to see the new side of Amsterdam, there are other places to visit. So it's Amsterdam is just beautiful, a beautiful, beautiful city with a very good vibe and a very positive energy. Um, Amsterdam for me is like also in top three, uh, you know, cities, if it would be that I would have to pick into, you know, moving out of, uh, of Cluj and what would be a cool city to move in. Definitely it's Amsterdam is going to be in top three. Um, so, and I will know definitely, I, I mean, I know this definitely that I will be visiting Amsterdam, um, in the future as well. So I will visit, uh, you said the Jordan. Jordan. Yes. Okay, cool. So I will it's, visit that. It's spelled the uh, Jordan with a double A, with a J and the double A. Okay, cool. Um, because I, I, I didn't, uh, I didn't visit it that, but you said I'll that take you know. around. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you said you, you, you moved to, you moved to Amsterdam and, you know, moving to another city, starting something fresh, uh, transitioning into a different, um, different, let's say context of, of lifestyle and everything um, leads me to maybe just my next question is uh, what would be, you know, one thing that turned your life and shaped it into a totally other direction than expected? What was that one thing that happened? <laughs> you won't get the answer. You don't get, you won't um, believe it, but it's still uh, Amsterdam. Uh, oh, wow. <laughs> I was uh, I was a student uh 2002 when I did my masters here and um I had to pick between uh, getting a job in Romania which was a very good job uh by the way the automotive industry just started uh, booming um and I was supposed to work in HR I was just uh, graduating but uh, then I decided to follow up a masters here in cognitive ergonomics that's a mix of psychology and uh, and IT and I have learned so many things. I mean, I was out of the country for a lot of years before and a lot, lots of times. But Amsterdam and the way people, uh, things happen here uh, just, just completely changed my life. You learn that things can be done in a different way. Learning can be done in a different way. The way we studied here was totally different than the way I studied in, in Romania. Um, 
you know how the system works uh, at home. There's no yeah. simple line from A to B. You have yeah. to go through C and D and maybe you never get to B because you get sent <laughs> exactly. from, from one place to another. Here, there is a direct simple line between A and B. You want to get something solved. Someone has, has thought of it and it can be done. Mm-hmm. You learn that how much civilization counts, how much you can depend on the other, how you can build relations in a different way. I got a totally different world of relationships and how the world works uh, when I when I was here. I came back home, but then this this definitely stayed with me. And 17 years later, we we moved here. So if there's oh, wow. one thing I have to point out, it's still it's still Amsterdam. That's that's <laughs> nice. I'm, I mean, uh, Amsterdam also did for me some things, but I'm I'm. That was unexpected. <laughs> I was thinking maybe something else and more, uh, let's say. Uh, uh, I don't know exactly. It's maybe just a bias of mine. But um, what would you say that in all this um, evolution of growth and uh, studying and getting on this path, what have been maybe your key influences in who you have become today? Oh, there are, there are so many, but if I have to start somewhere, I would just start with my grandparents. Mm-hmm. Uh, my grandfather was an inventor. So even though I studied psychology, I held tools in my hands and I was doing engineering from a very early age mm-hmm. and his way of thinking and all the time uh, working with gadgets in that time of, 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 and the place of world, that was just amazing. And uh, my grandmother was very keen on learning and developing, and he was she was quite quite uh, tough on me, but I think that shaped me uh, into what I am today. So just just to start with, I definitely my my partner. We've been together twenty four years, and I've known him for my my entire life. Uh, just moving on the same path, uh, what I studied in uh, psychology, I had at least three amazing professors. Uh, Maybe you know uh, Mircea Miklia, who has mm. also been the, the Ministry of Education in Romania. Dan David, who's now leading, uh, is the Vice President of R&D for yeah. one of the biggest uh, research uh, institutions in the world in, in uh, psychology. And then definitely the late Professor Pitario as well. He was tough as hell. He was really, <laughs> really, really, really tough. But I've worked with him and I've thrived with with. In, in, in that. So uh, definitely th- those were big influences uh, education-wise. When I started working, I started working in uh, agencies and the customers that I had definitely shaped me. Not, s- not so much what I was doing. I, I loved what I was doing, but I already studied uh, industrial organizational psychology. I've, I've worked with some of the best professors, so it didn't shape me. I learned, I developed, but it didn't necessarily uh, shape me. Mm-hmm. Um, then of course Amsterdam I just mentioned that moving here uh, definitely and lately I've had some really good uh, teachers uh, just to mention Joe Rogan right his, yeah. uh, his podcast we're talking about podcasts and we're on yeah. the podcast so his show is definitely one that has shaped my thinking because the kind of guests he has definitely make you make you think deeper and in a different yeah. way that's yeah. how I met uh, Sam Harris, Jordan Peterson, and and uh, yeah, Jock Willink, and all, yeah. all the other people that uh, go to his podcast. Yeah, I can mention a few others, but I think this would be <laughs> this would be the main uh, influences. Um, 
Yeah, I, I was just reading Joe Rogan's, uh, you know, uh, latest. It was all over the news. Joe Rogan uh, joining Spotify, and that was that was huge and uh, an unexpected, at least uh, for me. But yeah, I I agree. Uh, Joe Rogan is definitely a podcast to listen to, and you can discover yeah, a lot of cool people. It's not people. so it's not so unexpected because um, they were really narrowing his choices every time. Every time he wanted to show the public something. He was always, uh, on, he always had the risk of being demonetized or his entire, I think he already had two or three strikes and, uh, they would have shut down his, uh, channel at some point. YouTube? You mean on yes, which one? YouTube. Yeah. So, uh, okay. yeah. Maybe it was, uh, what, what was surprising that. to me was that Spotify has a video option, <laughs> which I didn't know until I, I said, but this is a video podcast. What, why, how come he's moving it? And that's when I learned that uh, Spotify actually had from the very beginning a video uh, option, but I never, I never knew it was there. I never knew it uh, as well, and I think it's a very good strategy in terms of you know getting uh, people creating media, you know, video media on Spotify. You know, getting these big brands and big names mm-hmm. on the platform, yeah, definitely uh, will help. I didn't knew that about Joe Rogan of being demonetized and stuff mm-hmm. like yeah. Um, I mean, every single time, uh, as as um, if you, if you're just looking at the show, you can see that they are looking at something, and at some point they're even looking on their uh, phones because they cannot show anything on screen. So it's a bit hard to to follow it if that happens. Whereas he will have a full uh, creative license on uh, Spotify. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and of course uh, you get a big check as well, but uh, that's already in the news. So. Um. Julia, you are an expert in what you do, and uh, and that is, you know, human resources management, talent acquisition strategies, and uh, all that sphere of, of of activities. You know, what do you need to do to be an expert in the field of human resource management? <laughs> uh, be there for the people. I think listening skills, definitely. Uh, yeah. Empathy, just care. But then you also need, you're always in between uh, the people and the business. You are the one that keeps the balance alive. And because the business people and the owner or, or the salespeople will not think about anything else than the business. That's how they are measured, that those are their KPIs. So you are there to make sure that, that there's a balance in place. So having diplomacy skills very good analytical skills, marketing, communication skills, that definitely helps. But I think the most important is listening, empathy, and just care. HR right now can be a lot about administration, but this will change. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are systems in place. We're going to take over that. Uh, You have from AI to bots to, to, I mean, the the market is really growing and they're, they're better and better. Mm-hmm. So what's going to be left left is really the human side of uh, of things. Okay, hasn't been hasn't been different before prior to this. You say oh, there's a lot there's oh, there's def- a lot of admin over there, but oh, definitely. I mean, this function started as a personnel function, and in the early ages, it was only men who were doing it, or mostly men who were who were who were running it. Okay. Now it's shifted. Now it's shifted a bit, right? You still have the personnel, like, uh, I don't know, payroll admin and uh, uh, the different uh, kind of documentation required by law, where you go to a doctor or different things that that are required. So you still have that part, but it's way more than that, right? Right now Mm -hmm. you're talking about uh, employee engagement. You're talking about 
uh, culture and how to build that. You're talking about change because nothing stays the same. You have to change with the markets, but that means that you have to change the hearts and the minds of people as well and get them on the same uh, path as you. So definitely it has transformed very much. It's about talent, about learning, development, skilling, reskilling, thinking about the future. If certain jobs in the company will be automated or augmented, augmented, sorry, how are you going to help them make the transition? Mm-hmm. That's where the analytical skills come into play uh, because you have to understand what are jobs made of, what are skills made of, and how can one transition from one side to, uh, to another. I've seen that you've been active in the past few years or you know along your professional career in in more mature companies and doing more complex talent acquisitions and overall human resources strategies but um i'm interested if did you coached like early stage founders and also if you coached maybe later stage executives and what are what would be some key differences that you observe between these two levels of maturity? So when you do recruitment, because I'm, I am part of HR, but most of my life I've done, uh, I've done recruitment. You do end up uh, discussing career um, mm-hmm. and skills in both uh, situations, right? And I've definitely worked with people that became early stage founders. Um, for about three years, I, I uh, hired from MBA schools and put people through a uh, development programs, mm-hmm. which definitely uh, meant coaching as well. And it's extremely nice to see those people grow. And uh, some of them, quite a few of them, I would say more than 60-70% uh, right now have their own businesses. I was just looking this morning and um, one of them uh, just founded a company that is changing the way uh, electrical, um, um, how do you call them? Like ovens and uh okay. yeah microwaves uh, microwaves and things work yeah. in the house but for for um people who are blind or who oh. have uh yeah appliances, appliances for people yeah. who, are, for, who are who are blind or have uh, difficulties hearing yeah so he's turning the buttons right uh into something that speaks or you can feel what's happening and it gives them an idea of of how to use them because until now right they have they have hard times um uh, using this these appliances wow that's that's such a super nice idea i mean yes, it's i would nice have idea. never never thought about it and, and it's, it, it's all obvi- so obvious yeah and it's so simple uh yeah. it's literally just as simple as replacing the 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 buttons that's it so mm-hmm. you 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 have your normal appliances. You just switch the buttons. They are creating uh, some that fit for for every kind of brand, and it it's just that easy. And it's wow. called Feelware. Intuitive. Yeah. yeah, it's a it's a German startup. Okay. And uh, some of them are into into fintech. Uh, some of them ha- have uh, created uh, VC startups. So yeah, I've I've been there, and definitely because I work with. Uh, older companies, more mature companies. I've been in touch with uh, more mature executives as well. What would be maybe just one one thing that early stage founders don't do, or no, the other way around, the later stage executive, executives do, and the early stage don't do. <laughs> oh, um, I I think. Risk is different 
with uh, if you if you look at one or another mm-hmm. those that are early stage which is just normal uh, you take more risk you frame things in a different way you can fail uh, more times it's better to fail at early stages the stakes are stakes are lower you have less people to impact definitely more mature executives are way more aware of the responsibility that they have not only to to the investors or the owners but to the families and the people they are they they might affect mm-hmm. right some yeah. some uh, some maybe have their entire family working in the same company or the entire family depends on their income so at that point you you're not taking the same freedom and the same risks uh, as as you take when you are mm-hmm. uh, early stage definitely it could be it could yeah it could be you know uh it's not a fun thing activity hobby transform into a business definitely and um at least that's how you can see some of the dynamics of founders in the early stage uh companies/startups um, I was uh, listening yesterday to a conference a remote work conference and uh, most of them are more t- most of them are startups uh, you have e- e- exhibitions there for tools that help um, remote companies um, work better cooperate better communicate better and then um, when they talk about turnover they don't care in early stages mm-hmm. I-, I i'm not saying this is not important but they don't care whereas as a more mature executive you start to think about succession you start to think that you have to think about succession you have to think about retaining employees especially your top ones you you have to think about keeping them engaged keeping them passionate it's not so easy to say yeah 30 40% is okay 30 40% is huge <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so so you get that change in mindset i think there's even a difference in drive energy and passion or yeah How, yeah. however you want to call this i yeah. think early stages you are this, as a, as an owner they whoever is doing this they are driving this it's their passion that counts it is their passion that inspires others whereas in more mature organizations you cannot directly influence maybe 100,000 people or 200,000 people if we talk about the big companies so you have to work through others and you're not so visible to your entire employee force so that that differs a bit uh, as well yeah but where i think they all come together is maybe agility and uh, the ability to shift things mm-hmm. they are extremely extremely good at analyzing what's happening they have really really good business savviness and they know when it's time to shift and and how to do it it's something that you have to develop uh, from early stages we were talking about uh you know human resources and as you said early stage can be really you know hectic and they don't care about revenue they don't care about that and that and that they oh they care about revenue they don't care about uh, not a turnover i'm talking about hr uh, lingo uh, employee turnover how many people leave how oh, many oh, hire got it, got it. the revenue definitely i mean as a, as a, as a startup i think you care more about <laughs> anything else yeah right? <laughs> it depends of course depends on the especially if you're bootstrapped or definitely revenue is or or scarce in funding right yes well we call turnover so in hr turnover means the turnover of employees okay okay how many stay and how many how many leave mm-hmm. sorry that's uh, no worries but i mean um, i was just uh, building my way into exactly uh this topic and uh, that was um just to 
prep my question is, you know, early stage founders sometimes have a really niche focus area, right? Fundraising and getting product market fit and maybe not really caring about sometimes revenue as much uh, as nailing the product market fit, not caring about uh, the team and so on. And um, my question would be, how can an early stage uh, company make a great working environment, but at the same time, you know, it is a defined, not defined yet as a company culture? Well, culture starts at some point, right? And it starts with values. It starts with behaviors that you build over time, routines and habits that you that you take care, that you have the ones that you want uh, and, and uh, have them repeatedly culture is what we do repeatedly yeah right and and just make sure that you hone those behaviors that you care about and hire people that do the same and care about the pretty much the same things you care about there's no good or bad value it's it's how you live them and how you behave to show that that you are living those values definitely because everyone thinks about their mission vision uh and whatever else, right? It's it's not about just doing that and plastering them on a, on a wall. You have to think and align everyone with them. Maybe do that as a, as a as a group. Even if you are just two co-founders thinking about that, what are the values that you want to promote? Why is this company uh, first of all uh, existing? What do you want to change in the world? What good do you want to do? And get everyone that you that you hire aligned with that. Mm-hmm. Definitely, I think one of the coolest values to have is is your, the customer value and understand that uh, they are your partners and how you will work what kind of, what what will you bring to them I think one of the first roles that you're hiring is definitely you have product but you also have the sales uh, people who are going to sell your product so how they interact with the market matters very much mm-hmm. so recruit for those values recruit for those behaviors and reward them and that's how you build culture. Is that a recruitment strategy? To uh, to recruit to rec- for yeah, values? Yeah, to recruit for values. Oh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. For sure. I think this is key for every company, whether they're existing or just starting up. And uh, more and more companies start to get this trend. So one of the first interviews you have, right, uh, after you pass all the, all the assessments uh, online, uh, should be one based on values and not hmm. necessarily on knowledge. Knowledge is something you can get. Yeah. And if you're hiring, so besides value, if you're if you're looking for people who can learn and want to learn and develop and have this potential to do it, then knowledge comes easily. Anyway, when you are a startup and you have maybe three, four, five, ten people, everyone is doing everything. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Mm-hmm. I mean, from washing the floors to uh, delivering a great speech in front of invent- investors, as an owner, you might do you might do all of them, and you want those people that you hire early on to be able to do the same, knowing that they will grow with the company. And of course, uh, tasks will be split in a different way as the company grows and so on. But at the very beginning, everyone is doing everything, yeah. <laughs> so everyone matters very much. Every single person that comes or leaves the company influences that company in 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 a very profound way. So w- would you name that that would be one, uh, you know, uh, recruitment or acquisition aspect within a strategy to have as an early stage company? Um, Recruiting for values? W- 
Yeah. Sure. What else would be? What else would be that in in that oh, space? I'm so happy you're you're asking me this, <laughs> <laughs> because I I was listening again yesterday to all the startups and there was a lot of talk about intuition mm -hmm. and how you use your intuition to get the best people on board. It's not okay. Intuition, it's proven. Maybe you're right in forty percent of a, of the cases. So it's not even a flip of a coin. Mm -hmm. You're it's 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 less than fifty fifty. Yeah. Right. So I think one of the first things is learn how to recruit. It's not about intuition. We already know there's a lot of research that shows us what predicts performance and not only what predicts performance, but who are the people that learn the fastest and you need that in a startup. Hmm. So for, for, for example, general cognitive ability is one of the best predictors of performance, right? And that predicts performance at 0.62, something like this. So it's not perfect, mm -hmm. right? Nothing, and this is the best. Uh, I can share the I can share the studies, and you can share them with uh, with your audience. I'm more than happy to even uh, talk them through this. Not, not that would be great. So general cognitive ability. Then, in depending on what you mix it with, but the best solution uh, is to have to mix it with values. Right. And if you recruit for values and you interview for values, that already increases the prediction of performance to 0.78, I think, which is, I think is the highest. It's what we call integrity based interviews, which are very much driven on values, but also on is that person work oriented? Will they stay there until the work is, uh, work is done? It's about getting referrals for uh, salespeople or even for the others who are, who are showing up. Have they done a good work uh, before they came here? Did they put all the efforts in? Right. And then you have personality. Personality alone does not predict performance. Personality is very important, but it does not predict performance. Mm -hmm. You have two personality measures, uh, openness to experience and conscientiousness. This is the big five, uh, who help predict performance, but only if you use them together with other assessments like general cognitive ability and like integrity measurements or, um, cognitive interviewing. Mm -hmm. Right. So once you add those in, I think that increases to 0.75, right? So you have, but there are studies. I can, I can share that with you. That would be great. Very simple. Don't go on intuition. There is a best way to do it. Companies all over the world already started doing this. If you, if you apply right now for jobs, 80% of them, before they even speak with you, they will put you through a general cognitive ability test. Those are logical uh, issues, numerical problems to solve, uh, yeah, things like that. Yeah. Uh, they're extremely predictive. And uh, second of all, they will put you through a personality assessment. And combining the two of them, you are already at 0.70 something, which is 30 plus more than your intuition. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm, I'm just thinking, and, and you know, you described like a perfect full stack let's say in brackets, not in brackets, uh, quota, full stack um, uh, technology for recruiting, right? So that that's really cool. And uh, um, one thing that I was thinking about, do you have any, any numbers around what's the cost of not hiring the way you're hiring? You say hiring should be done. Well, it's extremely high. It is extremely high. I think it's um, three times, if I remember the numbers correctly, but again, I can share this uh, with you. There is an ROI for either not hiring, so leaving a job uh, vacant or hiring the wrong person when you have to wait again, leave the job uh, open, right? 
um, retrain someone so you get that uh, that uh, bit where you're not productive. And it's three times the productivity per person, uh, the profitability per person, sorry. Three times the profitability per person. So you get the profitability of the company, you split it by the numbers of employees, you get the number per person, and then multiply it by three, and that's how much you lose for every person. Oh, wow. That could be huge. Depends it on is, the... On the it's position, really huge. but yeah, it's huge. It's, it definitely depends on the on the on the position as well. But yes, it's really huge. You, we usually look at um, when when uh, because you have to input salaries as well. There is a formula to do this. So when you do that for the entire company, you input the average uh, salary number, right? And then, of course, if you're lower or higher, that that has a has a greater impact. But all in all, it's definitely way more than waiting and making sure you're finding the right person. It doesn't only affect that particular job, it affects the people that are working in that department and maybe the people that are working in the company. I've worked in recruitment for, for 18 years and if you're not finding their colleague in three to six months, they people understand it's a, it's a hard job to fill, right? It's not an issue, the ones in the team, uh, ones already present. But if you have one year or two years or three years of vacancies, and trust me, I have seen that, they start oh, wow. to doubt that they're in the right place. They start to doubt that they're in the right career. And their engagement and, and passion for doing that work starts to fail. And, and the, uh, to fade. And then they come and ask, okay, so what's happening? Why are we not hiring? And th- the job is still open. So, yes. Hmm. Or you hire the wrong person and then that demotivates everyone. So there's a fine balance between how long it takes. Uh... Yes. That's, that's why please don't do it yourselves. Recruitment should not be done by the by uh, the business leaders. You need someone who knows how to do recruitment yeah. to do it properly. Yeah, I agree. Otherwise, you fall on intuition. Most of the cases, it's do I like this person in front of me or not? But you have no real reasons why you like them or you don't like them. So you're not learning. You're not building that knowledge so you make better and better decisions over time because you're not you don't know how to think about it. So. Yes, get a good recruiter. <laughs> I've I've uh, I've definitely been in that position where I um, got on board into the team based on intuition. Didn't went well. Uh, it wasn't a very nice experience from an emotional point of view. At least in my early days of um, you know recruiting me myself as as well as a as a, as a founder. So that was a nice and uh, definitely. Um, I'm looking into a more full stack strategy of recruiting, definitely. Um, but there but are what, what I would say it's, it's don't make it so difficult for yourself. If it's a startup, I would definitely teach everyone how to recruit mm-hmm. and build an all hands on deck 24 seven recruiting culture. Just as simple as that. I think your biggest connection hmm. to the market in early stages are, is your, is your sales force. They will meet those amazing people, whether they are competitors or anyone related to your industry. And then if they know what they are looking for, if you train them to understand your business, your vision, what kind of people would be a fit and train them on how, because they anyway sell, right? All they have to do is sell the company and not the product. <laughs> that's, the, yeah. that's the difference. Yeah. Uh, then they are, very, they are very, very good sources of amazing people at, at the start. The other ones are very good sources of referrals. 
so if you get everyone trained and everyone understanding, how should we look at people? How should we measure uh, their skills? How should we ask them questions? And why is that question more important than another? What kind of questions to ask? Uh, because it's, it's right. Um, you have, they have, to, you have to know and everyone has to know that looking at the past is way better than putting people through. I don't know. Uh, how are they called? Um, I'm missing the English word. Uh, situational, uh, sorry, yeah. situational um, uh, issues. Whether they might have never encountered them. At that point, they might just tell you a theory that, that they have read, which is perfectly okay. Not an issue with that. But if they've never done it when they are against uh, the time, when they're against the clock, they will always behave the way they used to behave. Right? Changing behavior requires time. You can do it, but it requires yeah. time. So you have to think of, of, of all of that. But if you teach everyone from the very beginning how to do it, especially these are people who early on uh, are next to you and most probably they grow in the ranks of the company and they will become team leaders and hiring managers and, and uh, uh, senior managers in the company. Yeah. So teaching them early on how to recruit and getting everyone engaged is not so bad. Hmm. That's a super insight. I mean, that's super interesting because I never thought about it like that to have um, even the concept of it, of having a 24 seven, you know, a recruitment, um, let's say company culture, right? At the early days of the company, everybody to start recruiting just to get them acquainted of, you know, if they will stay along the company, they will already know how to recruit actually people for the, for the company they're in. So that's. Worst case scenario, cool. they they know how to talk with the people in the market. And yeah. I think it's very important for startups to understand that your candidates might become your employee, uh, might become, sorry, definitely your employees, but they might become your customers. The way you treated them in an interview would definitely reflect on how they treat you and how you work together uh, in, in, in that partnership. Yeah, They might recommend someone new. Uh, so... There are a lot of variables you need to take into account. So making sure you give that candidate experience, which is really cool and really talks about your company and your values is very important. Just take mm -hmm. the time to do it. So this is, this is a really cool, simple solution and easy to do for uh, early stage founders, right? What other type of solutions would you recommend, uh, you know, to attract the right talent for the company? So I already told you about uh, hiring a good recruiter. I think that's even more important than hiring someone in HR, right? The difference being that the recruiter is the one that promotes your company, attracts the people, assesses them and helps you to hire them, helps you make the, the hiring decision and onboards them usually. Mm -hmm. And uh, when you talk about HR, then you talk about the day-to-day -day management of employees, learning and development. So they're kind of, kind of different. If I were to make a decision, I would definitely look to, to working in, to having someone in recruitment before I have someone in HR hired. It doesn't mm -hmm. mean that HR is not important. You do have uh, legal issues to attend to, administrative and so on, but you can easily outsource this. There are so many good people knowing how to do exactly yeah. that. Yeah. And if you're recruiting the right people from the get-go, those who are able to learn and know exactly how they should do it and what they should learn with a bit of guidance, you don't need for early on that part of learning and development, right? Someone who's very strong on, on that because they will, they will anyway uh, do it. So get a good recruiter, mm -hmm. get them a good, uh, get them a good uh, system in place. In it's imagine it's one human being that has to deal mm. with uh, 
10 to 20 people per job that they have to keep in touch with, they have to do administration for, uh, um, they have to send emails, they have to schedule them for interviews, make sure they show up, show them around, uh, do all the admin work for, for hiring managers, train the hiring managers to, to recruit. So it's just one human being. I think a recruiter can do maybe 17 to 20 recruitments and handle 17 to 20 recruitments at, at, at any given time. Once it's way over that, they need a system. They need a, a software solution that will support them. Mm-hmm. And that builds that candidate experience because then you start building pools of people, of talent that you need. Maybe they are not good right now, but maybe in a year from now, they are the ones that you are looking for. So you need to nurture those those uh, talent pools. And the easiest way to do it is, is via a system. Imagine that uh, in a year or two, maybe that recruiter has met a thousand people. It's very, very hard to keep in touch with everyone has met a thousand people who made it uh, on the short list, right? It's very hard, but you, you, you're letting go of people that were good. They were not bad. You just uh, happened to make the choice, the right choice for the, for you in that particular moment. Exactly. And in a year from, from, from that, uh, you might change it. So get, building those talent pools early on and getting the recruiter used to building those talent pools and nurturing them, it's, mm-hmm. it's key to everything that's happening experiment. Uh, maybe for a job, you will need someone who's very knowledgeable of what you're doing. Let's say it's an R&D job, it's a product. So you need that person to know, I don't know, materials or a certain software. Yeah. And then you are teaching them the other skills, right? But once you have maybe two or three people in that department, maybe you can bring someone with less experience, less knowledge, but they bring on some other skills that the team is missing. So experiment with that and see how it's going. Experiment with everything that you are doing. Make sure, of course, it's the lowest risk uh, for you, but you can experiment and see what's what's happening. You can do what Google does. And um, what they've done is they've built a team that recruits, right? Mm-hmm. So they, they have um, maybe a hundred people uh, in uh, throughout the company that are very well trained on how to run recruitment and they recruit for everyone. The hiring manager is not involved in the recruitment because they are not the ones who are making the best decisions in in that case, right? Mm -hmm. So they go through a very different uh, process and they make that so they ensure that the process is objective, that they get the best people on board. Not only a person that will stay with one department, but at some point is able to shift between departments, rotate and gain more knowledge and more development in in the company. Measure what you do, for sure, because if you experiment and not measure, that's bad as well. Start start low, just understand your process, just understand what works for you, and then go into, into the deeper uh, aspects of measurement. But that's another good thing to do, for sure. Recruit for values. It's mm-hmm. a good, uh, it's a good uh, beginner's uh, guide. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, dear listeners, if uh, if if you're interested in how to you know run your recruitment processes, uh, definitely there are some uh, knowledge bombs that just have been dropped <laughs> from Yulia. So definitely have a listen on that. Um, and maybe I, w- I can add one more, which is extremely important. Talent acquisition is not a support function. Talent acquisition is a business strategic function. Is just as important as sales, as procurement, as everything else. Talent acquisition procures you the right people who will do those sales jobs, procurement jobs, and everything else. Yeah. Even if they are human people, 
right? Understanding humans and uh, skills more than they understand business, it doesn't mean that they will not understand business. So make that a strategic function, teach them business, get them on board, get them to visit customers so they understand, hey, are your salespeople really up to the task or not? Where, what are they missing? What do the customers want? How can they recruit better by understanding the customer needs? And otherwise they do it third, fourth hand, what they understand from the sales guys. Of course, the, the, the information is not all there. Get them involved. Hmm. And don't say, hey, I have this uh, one-year-old job description. Just look for the sale, same sales, salesperson. Ma your market might have changed in the meanwhile. Uh, maybe the department is already three, four people and you're looking for a different type of skill set. So look at it one more time. And usually recruiters ask for it, but, uh, but it depends on the business owner if they uh, send them away or get them involved. So my advice is get them involved because recruiters, good recruiters do understand business and they can be part of it and they can support you create that good company you're dreaming of. And I never seen it, uh, seen it as that. And you definitely made a, a shift of perspective in how I look at things. Uh, for me, it was always a support department. But since um, you said that you should better not make it a support department and make it a business strategic department, it does it makes total sense. So, so let me ask you, why a support department? <laughs> now I'm putting you on the spot. Why yeah, a yeah, no worries. Um, I think it's just I never thought about it, but since I'm thinking about it, it's just something that that's how is. HR portrayed as? Yeah. I think because originally, it. I think it's historical, right? Originally, we were those personnel people who just made sure uh, the law is uh, uh, abide by and uh, you have yeah. all the documents, the contracts and everything. Exactly. You keep track of time and you know when everyone comes and leaves and how to pay them and how to incentivize them. And that was mostly hmm. administrative work. But Talent acquisition is not necessarily HR in the way in that in that way, right? Yeah. Talent acquisition is a mix. Th these people they need to know sales, they need to know marketing, they need to know communication, procurement, project management, dealing with from executives to the lower levels. It's it's not a simple job. Hmm. I, I, you combine a lot of skills and a lot of knowledge from various uh, fields and various functions to make it work. You have to understand as a recruiter all the jobs in the company. Maybe not even that R&D person knows the, the, the uh, job and can describe it to such a detail as a recruiter can in terms of skills and what needs to be done and what each of the tasks that you have uh, the, the new employee do, what that entails and how they, that can be learned. So a recruiter would know that at an even deeper level and they have to understand all the jobs in the company, even more than, than, than anyone else. But if you don't tie them to the business, it doesn't work. They are just simple paper pushers, uh, a simple support function that is always cried upon and never gets a job done, right? Uh, I would even, I'm, it's me and maybe three, four other people on this planet uh, who would say, get talent acquisition out of HR. It's hmm. strangled in HR. It's definitely strangled and it should not belong in HR. We deal with people for sure. Mm -hmm. We the, the, the two have to be linked together. And even like this, even if it's part of HR, and I can give you examples, they are not linked mm -hmm. in some companies, but most of them, they are not linked. 
link them with HR, but get them out of HR and move them into the business world. I think recruitment, especially in startups, should should report into the CEO and not into some HR people. This just makes me think that I just witnessed a gigantic bias that I had because I was asking you uh, early on, even me, I was mixing talent acquisition in human resources at a particular moment, you know, question. So um, I think just, uh, I mean, this is a hands-on, one-on-one coaching session. Yeah. <laughs> very, well. very, very different things. Still dealing yeah. with people, but very different things. One is very hmm. short-term with very quick results at talent acquisition. One is more long-term uh, with HR. You still need to know people. You still need to know uh, skills. You need to listen and be empathetic and all of that. So definitely the skills overlap. And that's why we can move from talent acquisition to HR and vice versa. But on the importance that they, they pose on the business, that's definitely different. Mm-hmm. For sure. I will definitely keep this in mind. Um, this is something that I didn't knew. And <laughs> <laughs> it's extremely Im- Im- important. Um, but well, we can definitely th- talk about it as much as you, as, uh, as you want. <laughs> yeah. One thing, uh, as I was listening, um, led me to think about, um, you know, how important is talent acquisition but in the same time um we see global shifts in automation and uh, artificial intelligence moving into the job market um and i would be interesting to find out you know what is your uh, opinion about it about you know some low entry jobs becoming obsolete because of this movement that's one of the reasons why I started my uh, my podcast, for, mm. uh, for sure. Uh, but what I wanted to do with the podcast is I wanted to give people a feeling that there is something to do about it, that we definitely need to acknowledge that automation and AI are here. Some jobs will be definitely automated and there will be no more people doing them, right? Uh, driving cars or uh, even cashiers, accountants uh, are being automated. Some jobs would be augmented. So definitely there are changes in the market, but what we need to understand is acknowledge that these changes are there and do something about it. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not, I would not say freak out. This is not the moment to freak out. (laughs) Uh, And I just had a very interesting discussion uh, yesterday with a company called Fathom. Uh, And I think I'm kind of with them on the same boat, uh, that it's not necessarily the future of work, which seems like something unpredictable, something that it's now and then the future, something that we'd be, sh- uh, we should be uh, worried about. It's, it's so undefined. It's the future, but more towards the, an evolution of work. Right. And I'm, I'm with them. I, I said first, maybe this is just another uh, fancy word and we're just calling not recruitment, but talent acquisition. We do the same with this and, um, but I, I, I think I'm, I'm, I'm with them. And we were just talking yesterday about accountants, for example. Um, what they do is they map the skill set. Uh, they have, a, I think, a, a catalog of about 5,000 jobs right now, uh, pretty much covering everything that's happening on the market. And they've really detailed everyone to the lowest level of skills that are needed or knowledge that is needed to, to perform in that, uh, in that particular job. Mm-hmm. And for example, with accountants, there's a very good overlap with cybersecurity uh, analysts. The knowledge is not there, right? One knows accounting, the other one knows cybersecurity. So the knowledge gap needs to be needs to be um, uh, covered. 
But the way they look, the way they analyze data, they look at data, the way they analyze data, the way they put reports together um, and advise management to make decisions is the same. So the other skills are all there. So there are companies that they are working with right now who are just uh, training, part of of their accountants will be out uh, and they're training them so they can transfer into cybersecurity, which is something that is really growing right now. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, same with uh, same with uh, cashiers. Uh, apparently, there's quite a big overlap, and bank tellers. So they they fall in pretty much the same category. They discuss with customers, and they have some communication skills and uh, some some analytical skills. And they've looked into healthcare, an, another industry that is growing, but in personal healthcare, right? So apparently, they can be easily transferable, and they can learn um, how to do that. And there are trainings and there are uh, certifications you can go through, but you can definitely uh, pivot. So I wouldn't be worried. I would definitely think that, hey, there is a change. You have to acknowledge it. You have to understand, hey, am I at risk or not? What's the risk? Do I need to pivot? And how, how, what do I need to learn to pivot? But there are studies out there who can tell you where to pivot and how, and, and you just need to make the step and the change instead of complaining and being afraid. Of course, definitely. Uh, do you think it will have a positive effect on the overall um, job market? You know, some mundane tasks to be automated and removed. For sure. Yeah. For sure. I mean, I, I'm not sure who's happy getting products through a, uh, yeah, through a band and just putting them in a bag. I'm not sure yeah. who, what's what kind of meaning you can find necessarily in that right yeah and what kind of purpose in life i'm sure you can at some point but uh, i think it gets to be about about the paycheck if you can transfer that to something more meaningful then why not and i think technology will help us do that it will be good at the things we are bad at yeah so uh, so i think it's a it can be a very positive change but we have to look at it like this and acknowledge it what i figured out is that not a lot of people acknowledge this change. I had I, I like uh, asking taxi drivers. This was before the pandemic. Right now, I'm not getting into a taxi, but before I, I, I was. And I liked asking them, hey, what about the, the automation? What about the self-driving cars? And most of them said, ah, get away. This is not never going to happen. There's not a human being who will get in a car without a driver. Yeah. This will this is never going to happen. Uh 2 weeks ago I had um, a podcast recording with someone who works in um, administration. And I asked them the same what's the potential of automation for for these jobs. And I know it's big, right? This this uh assistants some of them are really advanced. Yeah. Some of them are not but some of them are really advanced and they yeah. will they will they will get there with enough it's just the data and knowledge. It's just the early days. And they think as well that no way, this is a very personal job, very human relationship related job. And, and, and it's, it's not. No, it's not. Yeah, I agree. So I think people need to understand what is automatable, what is augment, uh, augmented, how this, how this will affect them and just think about what they like doing and start doing it. Um, I had a conversation with uh, Andre Roth and uh, his, uh, he is uh, right now director of special projects at UiPath. And we were talking about somehow the similar uh, topic about automation and robotic process automation, right? RPA, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, big hot trend right now. 
And I was um, asking him, I think the question was, um, is RPA uh, removing humans, right, uh, from their jobs? And he said that, and I quote him, I like to think about it differently. I believe RPA removes the robot out of the human. And that was just pure, I was mind blown by that fact because it's true, it, right? It is as, true. You, as you said, right? Working at, you know, Lidl, pushing those products every single day, um, don't have any kind of meaning. And if you find, you know, a meaning that you are driven by, you know, with passion and um, you're really happy by doing that, you have a much bigger, um, let's say, add-on to the economy than by, you know, working for To your for life, Lido. to your energy, yeah. to the people around you. Think of accountants exactly. and some data data crunchers who just input people, uh, sorry, input data into the system. And basic accounting is just that. Yeah. You take one invoice, you look at it, you, you write the, the details in a system, you check it again, and you push a button and you move yeah. to the next. When it should I, be I, maybe more about how can we optimize costs? How can we, right? Different way of thinking about different, it. Just yeah. Yes, just doing yeah. something uh, something uh, different altogether. This can be easily automated. This is just robotic work. Yeah. Skills for Mars. I agree with Andre. Right. Skills for Mars. Skills for Mars. Yes. How did you come up with the name? <laughs> well, uh, I, was, I wanted to start a podcast, I think, three years before I started uh, Skills for Mars. And uh, I had a try with uh, one of my friends and um, people that I, that I work with. Uh, she's based in the UK. But at that point, we wanted to make something still about skills. But we were recording ourselves and talking about different competencies and how to recruit for them and so on. It sounded so bad. It was just one or another recording. It was. It felt alone. It felt like, oh, who is going to listen to this? We both got involved into, into different projects, big projects, and then we just gave it up. We had the gear, we had everything, and yeah, everything was set up. But we didn't do it. So for three years, we, we uh, left it where it was. I moved to Amsterdam last year and uh, I attended uh, a meetup. It was a mm -hmm. paid meetup talking about the future of work. I just wanted to meet new people, see what's up with the city and, and so on. So uh, this lady has a really uh, interesting workshop, all nice. And uh, she talks about empathy, learning skills, all of the things we know that we need for the future, change agility, learning agility. And uh, one of the people in the audience is asking her, so how can I learn better? And uh, she goes, oh, there's no way to do this. So I, 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 I was very angry. Of course, there is a way to do it. Of course, we learn. And if you want to learn, you can learn until you die. Mm -hmm. Um, so at that point, in, in that moment, I said, okay, I'm going to start a podcast, which is going to be free for everyone, invite people who know their industries, who know what they're talking about and, um, drill down in their brains to understand what's going to be automated, augmented, what kind of education you need and how can people grow towards those, uh, towards those jobs or, or towards those, uh, careers. And then I needed a name going to your, <laughs> to your question. So it has to be something about the future of work, skills, something, and I didn't want to call it future of work. Most of them are called like that. And yeah. I didn't, yes, I didn't want to call it just simple, I don't know, uh, skills for the future. It didn't sound good either. And I'm very passionate about going to Mars. I think it gives this planet a common positive purpose we can all strive for. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. instead of dividing us. So I said, oh, but Mars can be actually a very good metaphor for the future because that's where we are going. And it's Correct. literally here. So that's how Skills for Mars was born. <laughs> nice, nice. Um, I, I, I was just, you know, uh, curious about it because um, uh, it does make sense from the get-go, right? It's skills for Mars, it's skills for something that is beyond, uh, you know, beyond today. So, um, but, but if you want to hear a funny story, uh, at the same time that I launched the podcast last year in November, uh, do you know the, the game Dota 2? Uh, yeah, I've heard yeah. about it, but okay. I didn't play it. So they, they launch a character which is called Mars. So the whole internet was filled with videos on how to develop those skills for that Mars character. (laughs) So whenever you were typing (laughs) skills for Mars, all you could see was Dota 2 info videos on how you can, yeah, how you can build a strategy around a new character. (laughs) They're still out there. (laughs) I think that pushed some, uh, some, you know, doubt thoughts. (laughs) Did it do it? Should Not I necessarily. It, it, at some point you think, hey, maybe I'm riding a wave, right? Anyway, people will look for skills for Mars and then they will reach out my podcast. But yeah. those, the people who are a- actually interested in Dota 2... They are definitely not interested or yeah, maybe very few of them would be interested in the future of work. <laughs> and the whole internet was just, if you just type skills for Mars, uh, it was just filled with that. <laughs> <laughs> now they built other characters, so that's uh, dying slowly, but um, you still have it. It's a descending trend, title. right? <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, there's always something new in the gaming world. Yeah, exactly. Um, you, you said that you launched it uh, in November and... Um, um, I've seen you had so many guests and, um, you know, I was, um, interested to, to know what are some of the most amazing things you found out from your guests? Amazing things I found out from my guests. I found out a lot of things. Um, let's stay, let's start with, uh, the, the original podcast, right? Which is related to the evolution and the future of work. I've had, uh, I think one of the first episodes was with Dr. Jonathan Clark, um, who is the president of the Mars Society Australia. So really someone who is, he's 60 something, so he's just preparing others to go to Mars. He's a geologist and uh, he's been on a lot of um, uh, missions that are happening on Earth to prepare for Mars. Mm -hmm. So I gained a lot of insight into how those teams are functioning what ki- what kind of skill set is needed how they are, they are building those teams it's not as easy as it as it seems how people deal with confined uh, environments uh, what makes them tick when um, do they break as human beings so that was one that was extremely wow. uh, extremely interesting and uh, i i do want to uh, if you'll ask me about the future i think one of the uh, directions that i still want to follow is uh, this direction so really talking about uh, space mm-hmm. and uh, now i've met some quite interesting people so i'm going to continue on that because i find it fascinating so first of all it's just really interesting for me and i have a actually for it. actually skills from mars <laughs> yes exactly exactly, exactly. <laughs> I, i'm just into, you know since you said that you know what makes people break what were some you know some insights around that what what did you find out well, in those missions, right, you go into the desert or um, you go uh, in places which are, there's no one there. There's yeah. no help to come for you. They bring you with a helicopter, maybe on a remote island, which is frozen. Uh, you are five people. 
if anything breaks, you get no, I mean, it's very hard to get help. If you get sick, it's very hard to get help. You are only dependent on, on those five, four or five people. You don't have bigger teams than that. Whatever you do, you have to wear a costume, right? Uh, if you get out, uh, you, are, you are dressed as you would go on Mars. You have to uh, really maneuver things and do experiments like you do on, on uh, actual Mars. And at the same time, there's someone who always keep tra keeps track of what you're doing and measuring what you're doing, asking you how you're feeling. You get very little time for yourself. You get almost no contact with, uh, with a family or it's very rare. Mm -hmm. You are with strangers, basically stuck with strangers and have to deal with them for sometimes it's weeks, but sometimes it can be months as well. And you break, you break because of hard work. You break because uh, of values differences. You break because of uh, uh, differences in personality, because you are just tired, uh, because you are maybe you are used to hanging around with with a lot of people, getting out. Here, if you get out, you have to wear a costume and you're still alone. So psychologically, for some, it's extremely, extremely stressful. And uh, he told me that once they had a case and they had to get that person out. But most of the times, uh, they get to deal with that in the team. And mm -hmm. if someone gets really depressed, then slowly they're trained on how to do this. Then slowly um, they, they, they ensure the person that they're still part of the team. They are not allowed to sit alone in their in in their room. Uh, they always have to take to to eat and uh, do the activities that the other team is doing, even if they don't want to, and even if they don't feel to. And at some point, they just they just get out of it. Yeah. But what's very interesting is that people break, and it's hard for them, even if they know each other, when they put these missions together for uh, analog analog missions for in, on Earth, but to prepare for Mars. Mars. These are people who know each other, who've worked at least maybe months or years together, even if they haven't met and lived with each other, but they've done research together. Mm -hmm. They've been at conferences together. They had some relationship previously. If if you listen to the podcast, he says that at least for this kind of missions, it's, it's extremely, it's essential. It builds trust. It builds communication. People know uh, how to how to talk to the other. Uh, these are people who, uh, some of them, uh, the English is not their um, uh, native language. Yeah. So you get differences in communication and differences in vocabulary as well. So something you, I want to say something nice to you, but because it's not my first language, it might sound really bad <laughs> and yeah. it might hurt you. <laughs> it happens, yeah. So he said that at least for these missions, getting to know each other from and, and uh, building those relationships up front, it's very, very, very important. Hmm. I mean, it's not, it's not your typical, <laughs> typical project and mission you want to go on. So, no, no, um, no. <laughs> but you can go, you can, you can, I mean, there are websites, you can sign up and you can go on these analog missions and, uh, and try it out. Me and as a human just, being, just simple, yes, Stefan from Cluj. Exactly. You can uh, be a journalist and just, uh, uh, keep on blogs on what's happening and uh, how things, I can send you some links. They're very, very interesting to read. Okay. All Tell the me blogs the truth. Are, Did you yeah. apply it? No, but but I'm definitely thinking. Okay. Definitely thinking. I was making a joke. I was trying to. <laughs> oh, I'm. So when the first mission to Mars was announced, like the real one, Musk uh, Musk announced it. I said I'm going, and then my partner said, "Hey, go first to the desert and see if you like it and if you can survive." Yeah. <laughs> start the uh, start the uh, uh, what is it? Agile, right? Yeah, maybe and maybe that's the my grandfather in me who just says, "Wow, this is so cool! Can you imagine being the first one who steps or among the first who step on a planet, having the chance to build or to think about a new society and how you would you would build it out there?" Mm -hmm. 
dealing with all the yeah, definitely issues and problems that you'll get uh, uh, it's it's yeah something uh, very interesting for me <laughs> <laughs> but first uh, i need to go to the desert try it out i do agree with that and yeah. see if it's a fit <laughs> um coming back to your 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 podcast and um uh the topics that you address and so on the themes that you have uh, i know you're passionate about uh the career change topic right and um i was um just curious about what are some key motivators when one decided to move into a totally different professional space why do they do it why they do it mostly yeah. it's because they don't feel that they belong in that particular job mm -hmm. uh, now whether that's the impact that they make the mission of the company the values most of them just feel that they are not doing the right thing then for others it's self-development uh, and mm -hmm. for others it can be financial but most of the ones that i heard it just said i i didn't feel like i i, I belonged i i didn't like it when i woke up uh, to go to that place of work i dreaded what i what i was doing Hmm. Do you have any idea what's the no? Um, how should I frame it? Why? Does it no no no? When does this happen? I mean, is it doesn't happen um, in the early twenty five or it is? Does it happen later on? It depends generation to generation. Uh, for for millennials, I think it happens way earlier. But it's also because first they've seen their parents who are quite young themselves and mm -hmm. maybe they have changed careers or they have different interests. And right now you have the internet so you can look up a lot of information. You can go on webinars, research schools, research uh, the industries that are booming and so on. So I think it's, it's quicker and uh, the millennials will, will, will make this shift uh, quicker. Mm -hmm. If you look at the older generations, we were taught... I mean, my parents had the same job, period. Uh, two generations earlier, I think it was in the family, right? If uh, your father was in the army, if the grand grandfather was in the army, then your father was in the army. Or if they worked in a factory, maybe the, 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 um, uh, their kids would work in a factory as well. Mm -hmm. uh, or if they were shoemakers, it would be the same, right? So it would pass generation to generation. Sometimes it even happens right now as well with businesses, but that's exactly. it, it is a bit it, it is a bit uh, different. So even myself, I when I was raised, my my mother had the same job for her entire life. A doctor was a doctor her, his entire life or her entire life. Yeah, you wouldn't think of changing so quickly. So even if you didn't necessarily like what you were doing, you would stick with it. Right now, you have an option. So right now. You can go online, learn uh, ethical hacking, uh, cybersecurity, and you can just do it. You can learn no one knew blockchain a few years ago. You can just go online, learn blockchain, get a job in blockchain. Uh, uh, software the same. So you can find what you like, get the right training, get the right education. You don't even know, get, need to go through formal education. You can get some online certifications and mentoring and coaching and just do it. So it's it becomes way and more and more easier. Because I'm I'm not a millennial, right? I'm, I'm 40 something. I think most of my peers, they figure out 30, 40 that they want to do something different, but this is because it, the, the, uh, the environment allows them to do so right now. 
this this these props were not there before. So I think it depends on uh, on uh, on definitely the age and the generation how they look at this. Mm-hmm. What if let's say I just want to do an exercise? Um, what are some basic steps and actions I need to do if I decide to shift to a totally different profession? What would you suggest that we should I should do? <laughs> Uh, first of all, think if you really like it. And to think if you really like it, you have to know yourself. And this is uh, one exercise that I do with most of my coaching clients. It's It sounds easy and strange, but just get to know yourself. Do a 360 feedback review with your family, with your friends, with your colleagues, anyone who can put in the energy, 10 minutes, 15 minutes to talk to you about you you will find out about your superpowers, but also blind spots. Things that you think you're very good at, but but you're not as good as you think. Then definitely look in, into what you like. It's very nice to have a combination and do what you love and make it a meaningful work-related thing as well. You don't feel it's work at that point. You don't... When, when you wake up in the morning... You're not waking up with a dread that I have to do this and this is work. Mm-hmm. No, you're waking up you're, and you're full of energy. You maybe dreamt of some um, uh, things that you want to put in place or uh, went to sleep with them and you are looking forward to starting the day and getting them happen. So definitely understand what you like. If you are planning a change and you're not starting it, do plan it. Right? If you are, if you, Do plan a bit. Um, maybe you need extra financing. Maybe you need to give up a job. And then mm-hmm. uh, to support your living wherever you are, you will maybe need some some financial uh, support, and maybe you need to collect that money before, and not while while you are doing it. Uh, I have friends who have just went head on and uh, did the change, and there were days in their lives when they had nothing to eat. It did test their their strength and their will <laughs> to do it. Uh, they could not go back at that point. It does build you, but it's not necessarily a situation you want to end mm-hmm. up with. Yeah, I mean, it could be easily, you know, in the same time, it's something that you set yourself as a mindset to, you know, uh, form a, a new life, a new form of living, lifestyle, lifestyle, passion, whatever. But in the same time, you could just build in yourself a context for a big trauma yeah. that, you know. Or it's it's hard. You lose the focus if you have, if you don't have the support at that point from your family or your friends who just say, yeah, you're able to do it and uh, maybe here's some support, some help, financial help and do it. Maybe you go back. Yeah. Right. So if you do afford and you have a bit of money, you can get a coach or a mentor, someone to, to, to help you. Do ensure that you have some support, even if it's not your your uh, family, because sometimes they have certain ideas about you. And when you make a drastic change, they don't think that they recognize you anymore. So they, yeah. they're just against it. <laughs> so maybe figure out a few friends who are who really can stick up uh, with you and, and support you throughout the, throughout the way. And then just go for it. Fail fast, learn, stand up and do it all over again. <laughs> It's a good way to build this change agility uh, skill. <laughs> yeah, um, I agree. And I think it uh, always, keep, always keeps you in, a, um, as you said at the beginning of the interview, um, we could be a life, long life learners, right? Mm-hmm. And learn our entire lives. And um, it can keep you always crisp uh, in terms of how you think, how you process things, how you adapt really quick to stuff. 
And I think it, it's, if I would frame it, it would be a lightweight emotional framework, mm-hmm. right? Uh, otherwise, um, it's heavy, it's hard to adapt and change to certain situations. Um, we did talk about a lot of growth and um, professional change and recruitment, um, everything on the professional side and also some some small parts on the personal. What do you think um, about starting a career plan? Um, is it worthwhile having it? And what age should you start one? Definitely it's worth having an idea of mm-hmm. a career plan. But careers right now, they're very fluid things. I I even take myself as an example, right? When I started, I never thought I would do anything else but recruitment. I loved it. I still love it. But I never thought I would do anything else. There were no options. But as uh, AI progressed, as technology progressed, I started doing, even my master's was in cognitive ergonomics, so a, a, a mixture of the two. That's when I learned that products like uh, cell phones are built with a purpose. They have, they have design uh, behind and then you shift a bit your your mindset. Maybe you learn how to um, uh, work on a on a computer on a deeper level, not just a user. That again shifts the way you 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 do work. That the way shifts the way that you you look at careers. And maybe at some point you just get a, a combined career in two of them. And it can be just as easy as uh, recruiting in a, in a technology career. But it can also lead you towards product development. Maybe a technology solution for recruitment. Right, which is a totally different thing. You're not doing recruitment, but you're building an actual product. You have to be flexible. So definitely do know what you like. I would say for people who are just starting, think about your hobbies and not about your career. Think about your passions. Try different things. Experiment. See what you like. And then choose a starting path and be open enough to go and diverge at some point and then build them all, put them all together again. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very different. I never thought I would do podcasting. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm not at ease in front of the camera as, as <laughs> I didn't start like that. <laughs> yeah. As a kid, I used to, I used to uh, hide in my room and, and read. I didn't even want to go on holidays. <laughs> I never thought I would do this. It, it, Yes. So careers, it, if it's a 50-year kind of plan, the Russian plan where you just or Chinese plan where you just go and do it, I'm not saying that there's not no uh, power in that, but careers are very fluid right now. So mm. learning how to deal with that fluidity is it's very important. I very much empathize with you about the fact that, you know, sitting in your room and having your own small activities, um, I empathize with that because I was... Um, you know, I got a computer at an early day of my um, childhood and I was uh, playing all these kind of games. And um, my dad was saying that, uh, you know, connected to what you said about podcasting, you never thought about doing podcasting. And my, my dad said, um, I see you on the television, right? Doing those interviews and, you know, presenting the news and stuff. And I said, dad. That, that's not me. I'm not going to do that ever. And we had fights. I mean, we didn't have discussions. We had fights, right? Uh, and uh, look at me. I'm doing podcasting. <laughs> and my mother, my mother went like, what are you doing? You have a show. What is that? So it's... Yeah. 
she's supportive that not to say that but it was a surprise definitely they never saw me like that again a kid hiding away reading books and not even going on holidays i didn't yeah. want to see people <laughs> <laughs> it could turn out definitely um uh in a totally uh you know su- surprisingly other direction than you would have thought so yeah it's good to be to have different things that you like pursue them get to know yourself really well and at some point if you're a sponge if you're flexible enough you will be able to combine them and mm-hmm. create your job and, and career i i companies and the companies i work with they still want to create those really strict career paths strict in the sense that you start in sales, you have two paths, either you go into deeper sales and you become an expert or you go into management and there's a bit of a different path, right? There are yeah. only two paths, not, not, not more, yeah. uh, which is not, which is not true. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's not true. You can combine it with anything. You can make out of it a, a training. You can make out of it a podcast. You can become a speaker. This, this were not jobs that existed before. And companies cannot plan for them as, as such. So for those who are listening, just be open, be a sponge, learn as much as possible, do what you like, and at some point you'll be able to combine them. I agree. Julia, I came to my final question for today and for this interview, which is, um, I think, a funny way to end up our conversation since we are talking about recruiting, about um you know, human resources and how you manage all that part. Where do you see yourself and where do you see skills for Mars in five years? <laughs> <laughs> it, is a, it is a funny way because, not because I don't think about it, mm-hmm. but it's not necessarily something I plan for. Whether where I, I I would still like to work personally. I would still like to work on the human side of things. I really enjoy it. I really enjoy listening to people's stories and their journeys, and somehow I feel like I'm a part of them. By recruiting, you're definitely influencing the the, the lives of the other people, and you are on the positive side of things. I never had to let go of people which is nice for me. So I would definitely like to do that. And I work with some amazing companies. Um I'm getting better and better and combining the knowledge that I have, even from podcasts, the different uh, areas that I'm researching, and I'm providing better services for them because I can do that. So that's definitely a a nice uh, growth path. Uh, Skills for Mars. I would like it to be at some point the go-to source of info for uh, those who are interested in the evolution of work so they can find the discussions uh, on the industries, on self-development, on careers, on uh, space, uh, on the future of organizations that they've been looking for. It is a development plan until then. I'm not the best. I'm learning as well. Uh, you have to. You start and you, you and you you develop uh, day by day. It's definitely maybe there is interest, uh, but pandemics manifestations of different sorts, looming conflicts, economic downturns, future and evolution of work, even though it should be on people's minds because technology has been accelerated, it's not, right? It's safety, it's safety first right now. So there's not a lot of of talk about it. But there will come a time when uh, this will be more and more uh, prevalent and definitely I would like to be there. Um, Definitely 
future work and all changes around it, it's much faster than uh, what any, any kind of industry has been. I mean, everything is moving much faster with the help of technology, right? Yeah. So, yeah, definitely. Which is um, good. We will get not to be robots in our day-to-day lives and do what we finally enjoy doing. <laughs> exactly. I agree. I fully agree. Uh, that's why we're over here doing both podcasts. We're doing conversations with amazing people. Um, Julia, what what is the best way to reach out? Uh, for our listeners, what is the best way to reach out to, you know, ping you, message you? So, first of all, there's LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's Yulia Strate, uh, Skills for Mars. If you type all of this, then definitely you'll find me or just Yulia Strate Amsterdam. I always, I'm always on uh, LinkedIn, so it's easy to get me there. Mm-hmm. If not, you have my uh, website, which is very simple, yuliastrata.com. And my email address is extremely simple, yulia at yuliastrata.com. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and cool. there's even, I think there's even my phone number on the website. So, yes. So guys, if you're interested to find out more about future of work um, and topics like talent acquisitions, strategy around that, and how to have a better systems around it, uh, and more business strategic talent acquisition, uh, feel, free to out, feel free to reach out to Yulia. Um, Yulia, thank you very much for taking the time and having a conversation with me around the future of work and stuff uh, that we usually don't take into account in our daily lives of business and (laughs) management at least at these early stages so thank you for sharing some light that's why recruiters are here (laughs) (laughs) stefan always a pleasure talking uh, talking with you thanks a lot for inviting me thank you julia have a great day have a nice day thank you for listening remember to subscribe share and review our podcast because the voice of our community keeps us going forward Find more episodes and discover different perspectives about tech and business and in our daily life. Thank you.